I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world. Brought to you by Oppenheimer Funds, the right way to invest. Explore long-term opportunities at oppenheimerfunds.com. Hi! Hello! <laughs> Howdy! Hi there, here we are. We're starting episode four of the Bloomberg Politics Podcast known as... Culture Caucus, you've missed us. We've missed you. I'm John Heilman. I'm Will Leach. And here we are to do our podcast. It's been a little, we've been a little delayed, Will. Yeah, there's been a lot of, I feel like I haven't had anything going on. You haven't been busy. You haven't been doing anything. I know. I basically, we're, we we didn't get the podcast together for a little while because basically I'm just fundamentally lazy. And I, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was sleeping too much and there was just not that much to talk about. And oh yeah, yeah. Donald Trump. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah there's that. a couple of elections going on. Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. There's a lot of stuff happening in the world of politics there that are. kept us, you know, apart. And that's actually the saddest part is that you and I, you know, we like to see each other. And yes. the last time we saw each other was Iowa. Yeah, right? well, it was funny. It was fun. No, we were, we were, that's the thing, though, is we were actually both so busy because we were both in South Carolina at the same time and still could not, in fact, get together. I'm virtually certain I didn't see you in South Carolina. We actually had a beer in South Carolina. Oh, that's, that's right. how busy remember, you are. That's right. Oh, that's right. We had a beer. I remember now. That's right. Okay, that's good. Okay. That is where John Highland's headspace is at these days. I forgot all about that. All right, so here we go. You know, this uh, this podcast is um, is called the Culture Caucus, mm-hmm. and it's uh, we can find it on bloomberpolitics.com. Mm-hmm. And through iTunes, iTunes. And, and through SoundCloud. You can find it all sorts of places. Uh, but the, the best way to find it is on Bloomberg Politics or to subscribe. And if you do subscribe, please give us a very kind rating and review you on iTunes. It helps people find the podcast. It promotes it through iTunes. And it's always nice. So we're sitting here in New York City. It's the couple days after the Oscars, which is always mm-hmm. a big moment, um, both in terms of our uh, our, our cultural lives, our entertainment lives, and, and in particular, like where the cultural and entertainment kind of merge with the political, just because there's almost always at every Oscars, there's like some event, you know, some, you know, Marlon Brando gets up and gives a speech and people get upset because he's talking about Native Americans or somebody stands or up. Michael Moore in the fictitious right, war. Fight, right, the, right. fight the power, right? So this, uh, this Oscars was different. It was like the whole thing was just infused with the politics of um, Oscars so white and, and the, the monochromatic nature of the nominees and all the kind of some African-American actors uh, deciding to boycott. And so it became very, very, very political. And we're going to talk about that with our guest a little later, Tony Scott, uh, one of the incredible film critics from The New York Times uh, and also author of a brand new book about um, not just criticism as a as a job, but as a way of life. Yes, better um, living through criticism. Right. I'm looking forward to ha- talking to Tony about all that and talking about the Oscars, even though it's in our review mirror, which is such a big deal. But you and I, Will, have been talking about some other stuff, which is, you know, as we are really now in the heat of a presidential campaign, about the kind of role that Hollywood plays in our in our politics in a more explicit way. Not Hollywood politics as in what do we see on screen, right. but as in Hollywood as a cultural, economic institution and how it relates to the political class in Washington, D.C., and in particular, the guy who sits in the Oval Office. Um, it's changed, right, yeah. in your view. Uh, it's not like it was in the Clinton years, not even like it was in the Bush years, the Obama Obama years have been different. How? 
Yeah, well, they're always a little different when there's a Republican president because, generally speaking, Hollywood is is, is liberal to the point that that when you have when you find like a conservative like Kelsey Grammer, like like I can name Hollywood conservatives on on uh, one or two hands. So Robert me, Duvall, Robert Duvall, Robert Duvall, yeah. Clint Eastwood, kind of. But so no, so what's interesting about this is you know when you think back about the, about the Clintons, a lot of that was bathed in this sort of they were very close with Hollywood. You know, Dave, you remember David Geffen being everywhere during the Clinton time. Barbara Streisand was everywhere d- during that. What's interesting is Obama has a lot less connection to Hollywood movies. Is not I guess maybe George Clooney and even Clooney is more trying to be like a Bono esque citizen of the world thing than like an explicit you know advocate in the. Or like a part, like really a fundraiser or a democratic partisan in a lot of ways, and I think it's interesting because what part of that has to do with the fact that I don't, uh, for two reasons. One, Hollywood is less interested. Stars are less powerful than they used to be. Like Hollywood has become very, like much of the rest of the country, has become very franchised, very what can you resell? We're doing a Ghostbusters sequel. It doesn't really matter who's in it. It's just the Ghostbusters. We can sell that and Transformers and so on. So movie stars themselves don't have the power that they, they used to. Nobody cares who Chris Hemsworth is going to be you know, endorsing this year. He's Australian anyway. I'm assuming he, uh, he's not allowed. I think you can endorse. You just can't vote. I, think, I don't know the Australian Marvel <laughs> exchange rate for voting. But to me, what's interesting about Obama, so on one hand, the stars have less power. On the other hand, you have someone like Obama who, frankly, seems to have a lot less interest in this than the Clintons did. Clinton got a kick out of hanging out with Barbara Streisand. Bill Clinton loved it. He loves schmoozing a lot of ways. Obama, I think, likes that, but it's more, it's less movies. He's more of a music and sports. I think that's where he sees his personal icons at. And because of that, I think you see almost when we've considered in the past. You know, the Hollywood lobby, Hollywood liberals constantly doing these these fundraisers and always being behind the Democratic president. I, you've seen less of that in this administration in a way that it's somewhat similar to you hear a lot of people, you know, with the DNC always kind of complain about Obama is not as much of a team player as they'd like him to be and doesn't organize, uh, you know, doesn't do enough fundraisers, doesn't play the game as well. Uh, but that you see that among Hollywood people, too. They get a little frustrated. They feel like they had more power and influence during the Clinton era. But to be fair, they had more power and influence in everything, let alone just the White House. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you think about back to 2008, one of the biggest moments in the 2008 campaign was the moment when in February of 2007, in fact, really early on after Obama had announced that he was going to run for president, when David Geffen invited him Mm -hmm. to his house and basically split with the Clintons. It was a power broker moment. It really was. Geffen had become um, disillusioned by a variety of things related to um, uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton and, and his doing an interview with Maureen Dowd in the New York Times that uh, that trashed Hillary Clinton, trashed the Clintons in, in more broadly, and then throwing his arms around mm-hmm. around Obama. And then all of his DreamWorks uh, colleagues doing that, too. You know, he got uh, Spielberg mm-hmm. and, and Katzenberg to get involved in that. And suddenly it was like this was a big moment for... for the for liberals the, are behind him. Hollywood's well, it was him. Yeah, and, and, you know, that was, as you say, the Clintons had been so tight with Hollywood that the sign that Hollywood was now in a, in a big, public, symbolic way that these guys, three of the most powerful people in the entertainment industry, were going to go side with Barack Obama. It was like, well, huh. Well, maybe the, the whole Democratic Party is not going to be behind the inevitable nominee. And Obama understood the significance, the, 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 the extraordinary significance of it. But then the interesting thing that happens is Obama wins the Democratic nomination. Hollywood loves him. He gets elected. And then my friend David Geffen, I say that with like hilarious quotes around it. <laughs> David Geffen will tell you if you have lunch with him, 
I never got invited to a state yeah. dinner. Yeah. I never got invited uh, to. I mean, like you, you can mm-hmm. you, the the distillation of the point you're making. You can see Justin Geffen himself. Yeah. Who today? Who who in 2012 was not involved in Obama's reelection yeah. at all. Was so pissed off about the way in which he felt like he got the back of Obama's hand yeah. that his attitude was. Fuck him, you know. Yeah. I don't need. I, I helped that guy. I didn't get invited. He doesn't call me for advice. Yeah, he doesn't bring me to the last. And I think you know, is he's a Geffen is a a, 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 a brilliant and important man. Also, a, a little bit of a delicate flower in this <laughs> regard. But he's symptomatic of a broader Hollywood thing, which was we threw our arms around Barack exactly. Obama. And where was the love? Where were the invitations to the Lincoln bedroom? We didn't get brought in to make your point. And not that they ever gave up on Obama, but the thing of like, wow, we're tight with Obama yeah. as a community. Just was not there and still is not there. It's, you know, well, we're glad he's there. We're proud that he's in the White House. We like having a Democrat there. But he's not our guy in quite the way that Clinton was. And he's not the guy that we thought he was going to be in the way that we thought he was going to be when we helped propel him into the office back in 2008. Which is funny. I don't think Obama would actually have a big problem with that characterization. I think that he I think he used that for his purposes but didn't actually care. And you know, I think that's, that's an accurate statement. You know, the thing about Obama is that his attitude is about donors. Is that they're all a bunch of donors, you know? <laughs> yeah. and you know he feels the same way about Hollywood as he feels about yeah. Wall Street, which yeah. is basically like you know. Thanks, I, I guess. I, you know, you know th- 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 thank you for your mo- thank you for your money. Yeah. I appreciate it. I need it. Thank you very much. But now, please shoot, yes. get yeah. out of here, right? Yeah. And and, uh, and uh, you know he's not a, you know I think you're right. I think it's really interesting to see the way that like Barack Obama would rather hang out with Mike. Will Bond and Tony Kornheiser, right, right. way more, right, right? right? You go to a White House Christmas party, you see those guys there. Right. You see all the ESPN sports right. analysts there. You know, you see, uh, you know, the, the, you know, anybody you've seen calling a b- basketball game on ESPN, college or pro. Oh yeah, Chris Broussard, they're all there Andy at the White Katz. House Christmas party. But you don't look <laughs> yeah. around and see a lot of Hollywood celebrities there. Right. You, but anybody who talks about basketball for a living, they're in the house. Yeah. It's yeah. a different thing for Barack Obama. And there's an excitement too, even like like Kendrick Lamar, for example. He yeah. came to visit the White House, and there was a palpable excitement. Right. Right. Among Obama, that is not there for, but it's also then you go back to the other level, the idea of, honestly, who is that kind of big movie star anymore? Is he a peer? Like, is Obama yeah. a peer of Tom Hanks? Like, not really, no. you know. So I mean, I, they're roughly the same age, but they're probably even ideologically the same, but not really. They they feel like two different kind of people and different kind of personalities and two different kind of constituencies. And he'd say, <clears throat> I mean that not to rip on Tom Hanks, or but you know he represents a certain kind of Hollywood stardom and, and Stephen Royalty. And, royalty, exactly. Yeah, right. And that's something that Obama I think is shown to have very little interest in. Well and I think I I do think it's a matter of some of the personal taste because the one thing, you know, you see the Obamas, not just Kendrick Lamar, but you know, they do those events at the White House where they bring in performers mm-hmm. um, of a variety of different kinds. Musically speaking, right? You know, he did the incredible interview, I thought, with Dave Grohl at the end of Sonic, <laughs> Sonic Highways, where, you know, Grohl sat down with Obama, and, and Obama could talk to Dave Grohl, and it was a good conversation. They were not <laughs> right. messing around. Right. They were talking about music in a relatively sophisticated, kind of serious way. And yet, what you don't hear about with Obama is, and I know they do they do screenings of movies, right. private screenings at the White House, because there's a great movie theater at the White House, but it's not the thing. His yeah. thing now is like... We're going to have uh, some great musical act that's going to play in the East Room, and we're going to bring in a bunch of people, and we're going to throw a banquet, and we're going to have we're all going to listen to Stevie Wonder, and that's going to be right. great. But you don't hear you know Obama like using the White House screening room right. for this kind of purposes that he uses the musical performances, it's which funny. is well, which does, is interesting yeah. in terms of how presidents play it. Because George W. Bush, I know you said that's different for Republicans than Democrats. George W. Bush used that screening room all the time. <laughs> yeah, that was like yeah, a thing. Yeah. You got invited to come watch movies yeah, with with yeah. W. Right. 
not something the Obamas do in the same kind of public way or to serve the same kind of purposes that um, they use the music. Yeah, when I think of screenings that I've had, it makes me think of when Sasha and Malia were younger. I think that was the only time you, he would do kids' movies. Right. <laughs> like it was, it was more for their benefit than it was for his own. Yeah. And the sports thing is, is, is really dead on, too. But what's interesting about sports, and this may speak to Obama a little bit, too, sports is, I think, you know, having written about sports for a long time, sports is, has its own sort of politics, but it is you can get into sports and generally be apolitical. Right. Like you can enjoy sports in an apolitical way. All sports is political because all of life is political. But generally speaking, you can go into sports in an apolitical fashion, which I think is why Obama finds escapism in that right. in a way that he's never really found it in the movie. So, so let's look forward here, right? So we, we agree about the following things. Hollywood is more liberal than it is conservative, right? I think that's I think that's fair. Yes, a, a truism of the highest caliber. I think that's fair. Yes. Um, Hillary Clinton now running for president. She looks like she could be the presumptive sort of you know quasi de facto nominee. We're sitting here the day at morning after Super Tuesday talking about this. Hillary Clinton's on a glide path now to win the Democratic that's nomination. We think uh, Donald Trump is in a commanding position. Not in all is not at all sewn up for him, but he's in a commanding position uh, to be the Republican nominee. So from a Hollywood standpoint, will you know what happens in a in a Trump v Clinton? general election where does you know, I mean Donald Trump in some ways the ultimate showman more of a yeah. showman than probably anybody in our lifetime has run for president and a guy who is was a t- TV star a reality TV star um, has and, and has kind of many of the of the of the of the of the kind of entertainment and entertainers kind of instincts and qualities that Hollywood would you would think putting aside politics just at the level of performance skills Hollywood would be like, that's our kind of guy. That's like P.T. Barnum. You say P.T. Barnum negatively. We like P.T. Barnum, man. He was a great showman. So what does Hollywood, what will Hollywood's reaction be, you think, to a Clinton-Trump general election? Well, the problem with Trump is not so much his policies, though there are, such as they are. Uh, You know, I think, worth remembering that Hollywood, they're liberal, but they're very kind of simplistically liberal. Like, I always think of the movie Dave. Remember the movie Dave where Kevin Kline uh, pretends to be the president? And the whole premise of that movie is the actual president has lost his soul. He doesn't realize what really works. And so they bring in this young active activist, and he comes in there, and he's like, we need better schools and more, we need to balance the budget. Now, let's bring in my college friend, and he'll balance the budget with me. And I always thought that movie really nailed how Hollywood actually thinks about politics, which is very simplistically, and through no actual understanding of how government works, which I guess could be an argument for Trump in a, in a lot of ways. But I think the, the thing they do react to is equality. And I think that the Muslim stuff is really going to be hard. The KKK stuff is going to be hard for Trump. I think that will mobilize them toward Clinton in a way that Rubio might not have. Right. Uh, in a lot of ways, Cruz maybe to a little bit, but I think I think like a Rubio or a Kasich or a Bush, I think that would have been less that. What's interesting though is, you know, there's still the the actor Anthony Mackie. He was doing a press junket for I believe the one of the last. He, he plays Nighthawk or Nightwing or some bird type creature in one of the Marvel <laughs> movies, and he was in the he was in the Hurt Locker. He's a very good actor. Yeah, yeah, and. But he was to ask that very early on in the Trump candidacy. He was asked at a press con- uh, junket, hey, so what do you think of this Trump thing? He's like, oh, I love him. He's hilarious. I'm going to vote for him. He's great. He's shaking stuff up. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. By the end of the day, he had renounced those statements and said right. he was kidding. Right, right. And so I think that is, you know, a part of that is no one wants to get too, like, you don't want to get too attached to something. The same way that Tom Brady did something somewhat similar, though distanced himself less. I think that, but if he would have said, I love Hillary Clinton, you should totally vote for Hillary Clinton, no one would have bet. Oh, no. Not not bad in an eye. So there was a there was a this I'm going to take this a little bit far afield. We we don't have that much more time, but let me ask you this question. So 
this Benghazi movie came out, mm-hmm. right? The Michael Bay Benghazi yes. movie with yes. uh, with Jim from The Office. Yes, uh, with a beard. With and a buff. beard and buff, right? So, <laughs> like, I, I, again, I've been I've been covering presidential politics mm-hmm. for the last two months, and that movie came out, I believe, in the course of the last two I months. Saw, I, I wrote about so, it. So, so what what like what happened with that movie? Did it find an audience? Was it, it any good? Like, what's the deal? What and was it like, even like in a weird like negative uh, dark matter way? Was it like a cultural force to be reckoned with in any way, or is it, it just like drop off yeah. the face of the planet instantly? It became a little thing during where I think I think Trump actually showed a screening of it in Iowa. Right. It became it looked like everyone was trying thought okay this is going to become a big big Gazi moment with Hillary, and it just didn't happen. I think frankly it was it's really interesting because Michael Bay makes. You know, he's makes hits like everything he makes is a big hit. But it was almost as if audiences could smell the seriousness on it. And the fact is, the movie is not particularly good. It's not terrible, but it's not good. But it's also you you can tell that he really did not. He wanted to surprise everyone by doing it serious and not make it overtly political, which ultimately makes the movie while still cathartic because it's directed by Michael Bay, kind of not have an angle. And I think that was part of the problem. It was hard to go out of that movie. You didn't come out of that movie thinking like, why didn't Hillary Clinton do something to help those guys? You came out of that movie thinking America is great and look how great America is and look how scary the rest of the world is. So if you came into that already with the notion that America is great and our military is – the movie's about the military. It's not about Hillary. So other than a couple of moments where some tweedy bureaucrat says, uh, oh, no, we're not going to give them more help. We're too busy over here. Those guys can handle it by themselves. There's really not a real collective moment in that, which I think is also kind of telling – in that I don't really feel, you know, people always talk about like conservative movies never really breaking through. Yeah. And so and I think that's a little unfair. I think a lot of movies actually have a lot of conservative theme- yeah. themes, just don't do it overtly. Yeah. But uh, I think Unforgiven, many people consider Unforgiven one of the more conservative movies, yeah. more popular conservative movies. But I don't. I think audiences don't, they just don't like political movies. Right. Sure. <laughs> they just don't sure, like sure, them, sure. whatever their angle is. They like, I, We talked about George Clooney earlier. He made this movie, The Ides of March, a couple of years ago, right. which was really, frankly, kind of dull. It was a, it was an, and not really a great movie. And it was ignored immediately, even though it had Clooney and Ryan Gosling and, uh, and Julianne Moore and all these great actors. People just didn't care. I think, and it's funny, We talk, you know, one thing I want to talk to Tony Scott about later is how differently television does. This yeah. television does... Politics so much better than movies. I'll tell you. And I, I always wonder about that. Eyes of March, just, you know, it's amazing that the guy who wrote that movie, Bo Willimon, mm-hmm. is now the showrunner for House of Cards. And, and Eyes of March was a little dull. It was House of dull. Cards is not dull. Yeah. It has some other issues, but it's not dull. Yeah. But, but, but here's, my, here's my thing is we, you know, I, I'm, I'll just say this one last, one, say one quick thing, which I think, you know, when you think about this, it seems to me there are not going to be a lot of celebrities who are going to be, a lot of celebrity star, Hollywood stars who are going to be on Donald Trump's side. There are going to be a lot of celebrities, I think, who yeah. are on Donald Trump's side. You've seen, and you've seen that, you know, yeah. already. Uh, there's a fair number of, of, uh, of, of, of various people who are going to who be on Trump's side, particularly from the world of sports and other places. Celebrities, he'll have plenty of celebrities. But Hollywood movie stars, I think not so much. It's interesting to me, Hillary Clinton still got game in this area. And, you know, one of the ways in which it's, came, it's come through in this primary season is, you know, you watch Bernie Sanders, who has had a lot of um, – as a fair amount of support among Hollywood types, you know, whether it's uh, Sarah Silverman or uh, Susan Sarandon or whatever, but they are a little bit like bubble. They're like bubbles yeah. in the in the Sanders campaign. He kind of they kind of get trotted out. Oh, look, Vampire right. Weekend's going to play, uh, or and they Susan almost Sarandon. feel obvious. Right. They almost feel like, oh, that, of course, Susan Sarandon's right. here. Right. Right. right, and then and then you see Hillary Clinton in her advertising, like deploy Morgan Freeman yeah. as a voice, <laughs> right, right. you know, and the ads are beautiful, yeah. and Morgan Freeman's voice is perfect for it, and it's making a point without like trotting him out right. in. Quite 
quite the same way, but he's there. Uh, they, the Clintons still, you know, they may have lost a step in certain ways and they may have various um, problems, which all candidates do, but they still know how to like take a celebrity and use it, uh, use that celebrity to um, maximal political effect. Yeah, and I think that they're good too about flattering the celebrity and that saying it's important that you're doing this. Whereas Trump will just trot out Omarosa for an event because right. whatever, here's somebody <laughs> else. And, and I, I said it jokingly, but like she shows up in document. She was on the MSNBC documentary about him. Like you know, I think that she is uh, indicative of that. He'll just take whatever if you're known. Come on in. And I think Clinton under like she will flatter the re, the self styled notion of regality and importance that Hollywood has better than Trump and definitely better than Obama. Here's how I know that our conversation has come to an end. You mm-hmm. want to know how? Uh, you, I'm afraid. I, I mean, you've been lying down for 45 minutes. No, no. Well, that's true. <laughs> but, well, you've invoked Omarosa. Oh uh, yeah, it's exactly. Once, once you get the, the Omarosa once, alert. The, once you get the Omarosa invoked, it's like there's nowhere else really to take the There's conversation. No so, Will, uh, what's this podcast called? This called, podcast is called the Culture Caucus. Have culture we, Caucus, not the Culture Caucus. Indefinite article. Have we caucus. just been? Have we just been caucusing about culture? We have culturally caucus. We have culture. Are we going to caucus about culture some more with Tony Scott? Second. We'll get Tony in here and uh, proceed momentarily. Brought to you by Oppenheimer Funds, the right way to invest. Explore long-term opportunities at oppenheimerfunds.com. So, uh, unfortunately, my friend Will Leach and partner has decided to step out momentarily. I'm not sure where he's gone. We do have a guest who's dropped in. In Will's absence, it's Tony Scott from the New York Times. Hey, Tony, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm totally awesome, um, and I'm really happy to have you here. Um, we were talking a little bit before about a bunch of things I want to talk about now, but first, before we talk about those things, let's plug your book. Your book is called Better Living Through Criticism: How to Think About Art, Pleasure, Beauty, and Truth. It was published uh, a few weeks ago by the Penguin Press. And just give me the very like when when I look at Am- like the quick forget about the Amazon synopsis. What's your <laughs> synopsis? Like, what were you trying to do when you sat down to write this book? I was trying to make the case that criticism matters, not just that the jobs that professional critics do um, matter, but more that that criticism as an approach to the world, as a way of life, as a, um, a discipline of thought and, and writing is very important um, to culture and to the arts and to the, the flourishing of our civic life. Okay, awesome. Will Leach just walked in the door. So, okay, so let me ask you this question, Tony, before we go on to like topics of great substance and sustenance let me just ask you about the academy awards which just happened um and i, I have a vague memory of their happening i was yeah. i was up late sunday night I, I i wrote something monday morning and then as always you know they've they've faded into the into the into trivia question uh, land but go ahead but, well i don't care I, I frankly don't give a shit about who won or or, or what you even think of the winners because I, you've written about those things and, and <laughs> yeah. those are and those are i mean the, the films some of those films i really like some of them i don't i'm, I'm more interested again partly because this is a, a podcast about the intersection of politics and culture yeah. this seemed to me to be one of the most in, in, a, in a in a deep baked in way one of the most political oh, yeah. Oscar ceremonies possibly ever I mean in the past there have been huge controversies when someone has brought up some topic some po- political cause in an acceptance speech this entire Oscars was modeled was molded by a political controversy a socio-political controversy yeah and 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 because it went not just to how the 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 award ceremony or the films address political topics out there in the world but into the political structure of the film industry itself, 
and of the academy as as a representative, as a as a kind of elite um, stratum of that of that industry. And um, this has been building, I think, a little bit for 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 a few years now, um, starting with uh, a, a lot of a lot of reports and a lot of work and a lot of protest about um, the 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 terrible record that the the studios have. Um, of hiring women to, to direct films. I mean, the, the, that, you know, 4% of the movies uh, released in the United States um, by the, the studios and their subsidiaries are, 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 are directed by women. And that kind of um, rolled into and, and, and generated um, a, a wider attention to, um, to the diversity and the, and, the, and the failure of inclusiveness, I, I think especially when you compare the movies to television, you know, where you look at, at, at network TV, cable TV, web TV, you see Orange is the New Black, you see Transparent, you see Blackish, you see Fresh Off the Boat, you see Jane the Virgin, you know, you see all of this stuff that is um, quite popular and, uh, and, and is reflecting um, the, 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 the cultural and, and demographic um, variety in this country. And then you have uh, the movie business, and in particular the kind of the Oscar movies, in particular the movies that are that are representing prestige and seriousness and ambition and all those Oscar things, and it's so much narrower and so much more homogeneous. Um, and so I, I think that that there there was there was a big outcry about this um, that you know is obviously connected to to things that are happening well beyond Hollywood, connected to the Black Lives Matter movement, or. or Connected to the to the general sort of the end of the Obama era and the way that 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 has brought um, race and racism kind of back up to the to the surface of our of our consciousness. Well, it was interesting too because it wasn't even so much about the Oscars. Obviously, the no black nominees for now two consecutive years was the and got all this started, but you know, I remember I interviewed Spike Lee for New York Magazine a couple of years ago. He said, listen, the only time I ever see a brother is at the security gate, the guy letting me right. into the meeting right. when I have any right. meeting at a, at a studio. And to me, that the most powerful part, some of it, you know, it looked like it was going to be easier because I, I saw that you kind of wrote about this, but like that job of hosting what Chris Rock had to do on one hand, you know, this is a ceremony that ends with him yelling, literally yelling Black Lives Matter <laughs> in your microphone, but also there's a moment where he has to say, and now to present the best animated short, The Minions. You know, <laughs> right. like there's this like, right. like this kind of weird kind of job so I feel like he did the best job he could with that but to me the more interesting part is this he was almost plaintive at a certain point says yeah. listen we're just looking for representation we're yeah. just looking for opportunity yeah. and to me that that all the Stacey Dash stuff that really spoke to uh, forget all that that really spoke to what he almost felt like obliged he had to get to get in there yeah and and I think that's 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 the root of it there there are there are very talented and ambitious people um, non-white non-male people um, who have trouble getting work, who, who have trouble, you know, having their talents recognized and, and cultivated, um, who are not getting a shot. And um, I, I think that is, you know, the, the thing, in, in spite of the fact, you know, you could see, you could see Kevin Hart, you could see all the, all the presenters out there and you could have um, Chris Rock making jokes about that. And, and everyone, you know, it, it's the kind of thing, well, oh, let's all laugh at ourselves to show how, how this isn't really our yes. problem. We're not, we're not bigoted. Right, right. We're, we're laughing at all the other white people. Now did Leo um, win? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and I think that, that Chris Rock was very effective in a way in laying down that marker and saying, you know, look, I'm up here and, and, um, and, and, and in a way kind of focusing and not saying, you know, um, I think his line about sorority racism yeah. was, 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 well, yeah, was, yeah. was made the point very well. This is this is not about active, hostile, you know, um, violent bigotry um, that that has finds other 
forms of expression, certainly out, out in the world. But this is about a kind of a polite, tolerant, <laughs> um, hypocritical exclusion. Let, let me just ask you, let me try to let me just put a kind of fine point on this question, right? How, how subversive do you think that, that, that Chris Rock's performance was? He can be a dangerous comic sometimes, and he has been in the past. Watching it, I, I guess I asked this question. I know you live here in New York City. Um, we yeah. well, we do. You and I will lives in some weird place in the somewhere in the, else, the swampland of the south. Now he, <laughs> he used, he used, R.E.M. is from there. He used to live here again, swampland of the south. And uh, to I say that with great admiration. I also should point out, as we talk about diversity here, that we are all residents of Upper Caucasia in this room. Oh, yeah. But having said that, do you think Hollywood was made uncomfortable in any way by what Chris Rock did? Do you think there was actually any discomfort in the room, or was everyone in a sense of kind of like? This is perfunctory, and we have slightly a a smug sense of, you know, he's not really talking about me here, and I know we have to go through this ritual because of all the stuff that's been stirred up on this topic, but let's just kind of get through it, and it's kind of funny, ha-ha. Yeah, the Ricky Gervais idea, almost. Are are they laughing in the same way as that? Well, I I mean, I think that's the problem. I mean, that that was was the the tightrope he had to walk, in a way. Um, And and it's not that different, in some ways, from what every Oscar host has to do. It's like, well, I'm going to make fun of this, but also I'm here to... uh, um, to affirm it, and we're all, you know, here to celebrate how wonderful the movies are, and 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 any criticisms will be kind of um, footnotes to that. I thought at the very beginning, um, he did um, find a little bit of of of, of an edge, and I think I think there 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 were a few moments where you could kind of hear an intake of breath, like, oh, what's he going to do? How much? Because mm-hmm. right, as you say, I mean, he 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 can go very far, and he can be a very um, blunt and brutal and brilliant truth teller. Um, and he he walked up to that line. He almost it was almost like he was saying, "You know what I can do." He's looking at the camera, saying, "You know what I could be saying right now. I'm not going to say it, but but know that I could and know that it should I be." I could, said. and 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 so there was some some of the laughter was relief. Oh gosh, he's not you know he's, he's not going to hurt our feelings too badly. But I think there is the danger is exactly that smugness and that complacency where you can say where Hollywood can say as they do in these cycles, you know, oh we gave a Best Picture award to Twelve Years a Slave. You know what we gave. Forrest Whitaker and, and an Oscar. We gave Halle Berry an Oscar. We had Chris Rock host. You know, we're all, we're, we're we're cool, cool right? right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and you know and 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 there is a challenge. Um, and uh, I applaud Chris Rock for going as far as he could go in a way within that context to say, well, no, maybe it's not so. It's not cool. <laughs> you right. know, we're not cool yet. And do you think it worked as entertainment? I mean, what do you think of for, again? Step outside of. I mean, look, there is an element of you know just the the, the kind of saying. Man, let's all celebrate how great Hollywood is, except for the institutional racism, you know, which is kind of a kind of a funny thing in, in of itself. But for people who aren't sitting in that room yeah. um, out there, of, to whom this is not directed at them in any meaningful right. way, does it? Do, how do you think actual Americans viewed that? Does it raise consciousness in some meaningful way, or are people just going, "Wow, this is some weird insular celebrity thing where they're talking about something in a room that I don't really understand"? But please, can I see? There was another movie clip. Well, I mean, the, the 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 ratings were low, were lower than they've they've been, which is which has been a kind of a an, an ongoing problem, part partly having to do um, with uh, just the 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 limited popularity of the movies that were um, that were nominated. But I think that you know people who watch TV, people who watch ABC, um, see you know a lot more uh, kind of interesting and 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 provocative and 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 you know and thought provoking humor about race and ethnicity and and you know the 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 facts of of, of life in America than than at the Oscars. So I don't think yeah. I mean there there were some pointed bits. I thought the 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 sketches you know where the, where they had like 
Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> mopping the floor behind Jennifer Lawrence and 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 Chris Rock as as the the, the Black Martian who like nobody is listening to. I mean those. Those, those were pretty good and pretty funny, but if you watch television um, in America, if you you know if you watch Blackish, if you watched Key and Peele, if you watch Chris Rock's special, Fresh Off the Boat, if you watch you. Fresh Off the Boat, if you if you watched Thirty Rock, you know you 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 kind of get this and you're and you're in on this joke. So so there is this weird sense that the Academy is, I think it really highlighted in some ways that the Academy and the Oscars are just this bizarre kind of throwback or fantasy world or or brigadoon where um this sort of old-fashioned magical world of 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 consensus entertainment and quality and prestige kind of floats into being every year and i think a lot of people when when they're watching it kind of um would respond to 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 chris rock and 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 to the opening uh monologue and to those sketches much more than they would to like what is this musical number you know who who are all these dead people again like what is what is what's the difference between sound mixing and sound editing i mean it gets very um very insular very quickly was it part of like just it seems like uh, it's related to like general culture it's another institution like there's not a lot of institutions and the Oscars. Right. It's not so much about the categories or about like in a lot of ways people tune into the Oscars to make fun of it. Mm-hmm. Like that is the primary reason that a lot of people they turn into see somebody screw up or to get, or yeah. that movie stinks or that dress looks terrible. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, what I found interesting about Chris Rock was he seemed to be representing the audience in a way that say Billy Crystal never did. Billy Crystal represented the Academy, right. whereas Chris Rock seemed to represent the people watching at home. And and I think they, they they've tried i mean with the with the selection of the host and the and the scripting of what the host does um that's been in a way the most difficult thing for the broadcast over the years because they want to you know on the one hand satisfy the academy and what the academy is right. which is this 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 old fashioned you know conservative because it's an institution and it's right, about right. preserving its institutional uh, authority um Organization, but on the other hand, you have this TV show that you want millions and millions of people to watch, and you want you know young people to watch them too. So they expanded the best picture, you know, roster, so you could have action movies and and, and blockbusters somehow represented in there. They try to find you know young and hip and funny people to present, um, and also Seth MacFarlane, and also Seth. <laughs> Seth well, the, the host thing has been they've just been all over the place with that because yeah, like yeah. with Billy Crystal, Billy Crystal was in the line of like when I was a yeah, kid. Like Bob Hope. It used to right. be Bob Hope, right. and Johnny then it was Carson. Johnny Carson. And it's like these guys that if you were a kid, you're like, who who are these people right. again? But they sort of represented um, the squareness, um, which was which was part of the, the the fun of the show. But now the, the attempt to have it both ways. Say, okay, who? Oh, the kids they like that James that James Franco. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, oh Seth, Seth MacFarlane, and then you you have these these kind of weird train wrecks that yeah. that that happened, or or you know, or poor Neil Patrick Harris, who yeah. who you know, who's a wonderful and charming performer but who just seemed completely um overwhelmed and and crushed by the thing before we leave the topic of diversity let me just ask you one thing because you sort of alluded to it tony a second ago which is the question of women right Mm -hmm. which the new york times if i if my memory serves my memory is a colander so i'm not sure it will serve but i believe your colleague maureen dowd wrote a long piece in the magazine in the last year at some point about this topic which was meant to be kind of an expose ish kind of piece what impacted that about the question of to be specific about the question of the lack of of female uh, uh, players in hollywood especially especially the executive level um and directors and and and, and high creative levels and even in some extent as actors what impact did that piece have if any i think that that 
piece um, has had some impact, on, and I think it, it built on some earlier reporting that uh, that my colleague Manola Dargis did, um, who 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 had had earlier kind of uh, gone in and interviewed a lot of of people. Um, and I, I, th I think that, that that has brought the discussion um, to the surface in a way. And, and has, there are a lot of people in Hollywood who, who are a lot of women in Hollywood who, who, are, who are very active on this front, who are, who are pushing. Some people who are well-known, um, who, who, who have gotten some power and some juice and are trying to, to, to kind of um, maximize it and to spread it around. Someone like Elizabeth Banks, who is, who is not just a, a, a brilliant actress, but, but a, a, a producer and a director um, with... with some power. I, I think that the, the reporting, um, the news coverage of this issue has um, put a little bit of wind at the back of those people in Hollywood um, who are trying, you know, whether whether it's through through the guilds um, where, where there's been been a lot of activism in the director's guild, in the writer's guild to 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 get more women hired um, or um, you know the 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 ACLU has been has been looking at um, at, at the possibility of, of, of bringing uh, discrimination um, suits. So so I think that that the reporting has opened up and has made public an issue that's been discussed in Hollywood for a very long time um, and has certainly been a source of great um, frustration and annoyance among among women. I mean I, I, I think I think those pieces, uh, Maureen's pieces and Manolo's pieces and, and other pieces in the LA Times and in Variety um, and, and in the Hollywood Reporter have have kind of allowed this to become something more of a, a movement than just a, a kind of series of conversations that people are having with each other. Is that a positive thing with a we'll close up the positive thing about the Oscars and then you know last year the conversation was about Selma and Alvin mm -hmm. Ray and and even the discussion of Brad Bird kind of giving Colin Trevorrow the Jurassic Park yeah. because he reminded him of himself I think was his actual right. quote right. Uh, which is as I say that's exactly how it always works in Hollywood you give that job done is that something good about the Oscars is that every year that it no, while the Oscars and the Academy have make all these mistakes you get to see the mistakes and you get to yes. see that representation of and be like okay this is what you need to work on I think so I mean I, I think that's true in, in, in both uh, in both years and the fact that the public discussion has continued yeah. so um, it wasn't just that that you know people were upset about uh, Selma and then stopped talking about it. It's yeah. that you know Ava DuVernay in the wake of that has has emerged as as a very important um, and charismatic figure in this movement and 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 has has you know has has gotten more high profile work and has made sure that 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 other people are are following her. So I, I think that's true and I think that 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 um, is is how this uh, um, this kind of how the wheels of, of, of change will, will turn. And, th and that's kind of uh, a new thing. I, I don't think that the Oscars have, have been um, politically consequential in quite that way before, and it's very interesting to see that that, that is what's happening now. Okay, so here we come to, a, to, to an awkward moment in this conversation, which is where I say to you, I know you've got to go, Tony. <laughs> but, but on the other hand, would you like to spend a few minutes talking about your book? Sure, I would. <laughs> Let me look. If, just yes. about, only if you can spare the time. I can you spare, can spare the, the time. I don't know how much you talked before I came in. I well, we, I'm, 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 I've not yet read Tony's book, but um, but we were got into an animated discussion about it uh, in the interregnum, and, mm. and, and I'm, I'm interested in talking about it a little bit. So you're a critic. Yes, and it's it's not just about um, about me, right. <laughs> and, and and about how great although my you are job is. although you are fascinating. Well, sure, um, <laughs> and and most critics are, are fascinated um, by by themselves, but um, it, it, it's 
it sort of started when I, I got the the idea for when at, at at a moment when there was a lot of discussion, um, as there still is, about whether critics are obsolete, whether anyone needs critics anymore, whether now that we have um, all of this wonderful social media and all of these um, great uh, opinions and, uh, and an ability to to like things and share things um, and and uh, marketing algorithms that'll tell us what we're supposed to like, do we need critics anymore? Um, and I kind of tried to approach that question um, in earnest and not necessarily defensively, not necessarily to say, oh, but of course everybody needs me. Um, how else would you know what movie to go see? Um, and to think like, well, what is criticism? What is it that I actually do? Um, and how does that relate to what everybody else is doing when you go to the movie and you have an argument about it with your friends or when, you know, you, you, you um, I guess people don't put on a record anymore, but, you know, you, 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 you have big fights about what... Um, what recording artists are, are 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 good and which are which are terrible? I mean, criticism is something that's always happening um, in the world, and it's the fuel of our of our cultural life. And I wanted to to kind of think about what that was and what's that? Where does that come from? Um, what is that like? Why does that matter? How can we do it better? Um, what's the connection between that and uh, you know more more traditional um, professional forms of, of of written criticism, so um, so I wrote this 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 uh, this book that tries to kind of focus those questions and 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 in a way to think about well what is you know what's taste why do we like what we like what it what what happens um, when we say one thing is better than another yeah this, and you know to me that's something that's always fascinated me too is that idea of I think Roger Ebert once wrote about the idea that okay listen. Taste is taste, but if you think Problem Child is better than Citizen Kane, you're factually wrong. Right. Right. And like, I want to find things fascinating about that about the book because I have the book, read the book, and it's terrific. Is that kind of idea of that push pull of the factual yeah. and the spiritual and the personal and so on? Yeah, and and how we we we. We're, our view of it is very contradictory because on the one hand we say, well, you like what you like, I like yeah. what I like. We, we're, we're happy with that sort of subjectivity and... and unless um, you're wrong. Unless no. you're wrong. <laughs> because we immediately go, I mean... When you know, if if you go see a movie with with a with a friend of yours or your spouse or a date or whatever, um, and uh, you have wildly different reactions to it, um, you don't just talk about, well, I liked it, I didn't like it. You say, no, you're crazy. That was terrible. What are you talking about? Even if you agree, um, you're not just talking about your feelings. Um, you're talking about the, the, the properties and qualities of the thing itself. So how do you make that leap? Or how, if you can, do you reconcile that contradiction? That's one of the things that I was puzzling over um, a, a, a lot in the book and, and turned out to be, in some ways, a much, uh, a much harder question than, than I had thought. One of the things that we were talking about uh, off off mic was the the question of the power of critics and how over our lifetimes, Tony and I are basically roughly the same age, how the role of the critic um, has diminished, and there are not now you know these grand arguments between schools of criticism that you used to that we used to preoccupy ourselves with in college between you know, auteur theorists versus mm -hmm. other kinds of critics. I mean, rock criticism in particular were these, you know, Grail Marcus and Robert yeah. Criscow, um, Lester Banks music. Yeah, were iconic right. writers right. in addition to being kind of people right. who moved volume of, of actual vinyl. So as we talked about the, at the Times in particular, right, you know, restaurant critics really matter. Um, theater critics really matter. Film critics matter, but a little bit probably less in terms of pure economic impact than those first two. Music critics probably don't matter very much at all anymore. So my question at the end of this long preamble to you, Tony, is like to kind of loop back to the top of our conversation. What, given that you have some power, right, in a in, in over 
getting people yeah. to see movies or not see movies, whether certain kinds of low-budget movies get a real uh, hearing or not, so to speak. Angering Samuel L. Jackson. Right. <laughs> how, how do you how, how do you wear that burden to the extent it's a burden? And and I guess the the way in which I want to kind of connect this to the top of the conversation is: Do you feel an obligation to um, promote the works of female directors, to promote the works of independent film, to promote African-American performers or African-American, those diversity issues, do you feel like in some way, not to promote in a PR-ish way, right. but to give them more attention or more scrutiny or even more criticism, but that they deserve greater, in the mix of things you do, more prominence or more frequency? or like what? Are, how do the, the, the obligations of, of what you think of as, as being progressive you know, values yeah. influence and play in how you make selections about what you criticize and how you criticize it? Well, I, I think it's important for for me um, as as a film critic, given just the the sheer volume and variety of movies that come out there, to is to pay attention to it as as much as I can and with as much attention as I can give to to the variety of 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 genre, of nationality, of of scale, of of, of release, um, which often means also. Um, of of, uh, of 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 gender and 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 race and 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 sort of the the subject matter of the story or the background of the people um, who who made it. I mean, I I think from review to review within within a review you're write you're writing your obligation is 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 to be honest and to explain yourself um, and not you know and not to and not to pull punches, but but also to be aware um, of your own position of your own prejudices of your own blind spots of um, the 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 diversity not only of of the stuff that you're writing about but of the audiences that are that are that are looking at it um and this is something i've been thinking about a lot just in recent years um as you know there 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 are a lot of movies that for for different reasons um are are not necessarily um designed to appeal to a to a 50-year-old white man or or not primarily and and i can certainly appreciate those movies and appreciate also what other people would like about them but I, I think it's important to be within the sense you know that 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 I do have a, a platform I do have some influence I do have some authority people will listen to what to what I say to be a little bit um, to be a little bit humble uh, about about my own position and to acknowledge um, which I think not all critics have always done that that I'm you know I'm coming from a from a particular point of view I am you know I, I don't think that you lose anything by saying look I'm you know I'm who I am I have I have the the background that I that I do I have the the assumptions that I do the tastes that I do um, maybe the blind spots that that I'm not even aware of um, that I do I'm not standing on the top of Mount Olympus looking down um, with with a perfectly objective view um, of the landscape below I'm down there in that landscape like everybody else um does being a critic, speaking, but does living through criticism make you happy or miserable? <laughs> I mean, it varies from it varies from day to day. I think I think you you have to be, um, you know, temperamentally uh, um, eager for uh, for for delight and also um, inclined toward a certain disappointment and, and and melancholy. So you have to be you have to be optimistic and grumpy at the same time. That I sounds like you, Will, that sounds yeah. like Will Leach, right? I there. find <laughs> you one of the more personable critics. That's yeah. probably the best way to put it. I'm um, like, oh, let me talk, talk to Mr. Scott. He'll be happy. I try not to take it personally. <laughs> Tony Scott, say the title of your book again. Better Living Through Criticism, How to Think About Art, Pleasure, Beauty, and Truth. I think it should have been called Heavy is the Head that Wears the Crown. 
Or heavy is the arm that wields the scepter. Hey, that's what my tattoo says. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just so you know, we, we, we take into account the full power and magnitude of what uh, well, I, try, I always try Times to keep it light. Keep it fun. <laughs> keep it fun. All right. Um, thank you for thank being you. Thank you for being here. I could talk to you for like another two hours. That was great fun. Um, but th- thanks for coming by. All, All right. right. <laughs> Man, Tony Scott was great, don't you think? He was great. I have lived better through culture criticism. Yeah, I love that guy. And I'm going to read that book now because, yeah. um, because he's, you know, brilliant. And also, I feel a little bit of um, commonality with him because... He's, you know, when he talks about like, you know, criticism not just being like a job but a way of life, yeah. I feel like that's me too. I'm basically a professional asshole. It's very, it's very frustrating. You know, I also review Constantly movies. Knocking I people. review movies right. for the New Republic, and it's always very frustrating right. after I write a review and I'll read a Tony Scott review. I'm like, oh man, he's right about everything. Yeah, it's very irritating. No, he's really, really good. Anyway, I, it was okay, great no to have him, and it was great to see you, Will, here at the end of this episode of Culture Caucus. Mm-hmm. So, everyone, please make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also email us at culturecaucus at gmail.com and uh, give us a nice review on iTunes tunes and we'll be back with the next episode as soon as we possibly can All right. be safe be safe live long and prosper brought to you by oppenheimer funds the right way to invest explore long-term opportunities at oppenheimerfunds.com i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.